The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. The text for this morning's message is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Gosh, it's, uh, it's really, really good to be here, um, here uh, with my wife, Patty, and our kids, but then also my brother's family, my sister's family, cousin, and my parents. So we, uh, we, we brought it down the house. Here we go. <laughs> uh, we're doing a little family reunion this weekend as well. Uh, man, I bring you greetings from the people of Sacred Mission Church. We were in Collins, as you've heard. Uh, Collins is a town of 450 people northeast of Des Moines, about 40 miles or so. Uh, when we share kind of our, our heart for that area, we say that our heart is for Collins, Maxwell, Baxter, Colonesco, and West Marshall, which are all school districts, many of them consolidated in that area. It's about 10 towns, depending on how you define a town, but about 10 towns, uh, all of less than 1,000 people each. So uh, I grew up in Collins. Um, I love the area, love the people. I love what the people love there. Uh, growing up, though, I didn't love Jesus there. So it wasn't until I went to uh, the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, and I was on the rugby team there in 1997, that Jesus just really broke through to, to my life and uh, it let me know of sinful things I was doing at the time and just a lot of the darkness I was living in. And grateful for his heart is he has told all of us, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. And what I was so grateful is he didn't come to, he could have come to condemn me. He had a lot of uh, stuff on me uh, that he could have just condemned me, but instead he saved me. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. And if you trace the next 20 years of my life, oh, by the way, this is uh, the great pyramids of rural central Iowa. Uh, so <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is about a mile from, from where uh, we meet as a church and just stunningly beautiful there. If you think that's stunningly beautiful, then I agree with you. So there we go. Um, but when you trace kind of the 20 years after giving my life to Jesus, I think what I would have never told you this, but what you would have observed maybe is went to seminary in Texas, and then uh, we went and were a part of a ministry in Portland, Oregon, and planting a church there, and then spent 10 years in the Oklahoma City area and planting a church there, is uh, kind of the direction of my life was a direction that God does big things in big places. He, he's a big God, 
And he does big things in big places. And even Patty and I this morning were praying just that he would do things even in Omaha. And man, our hotel room last night was like a bustling center of activity and energy. Like you walked into the lobby and it was just like, it was like, wow, this is the place to be. And then this morning it was like crickets. And I was like, Jesus, would you flip that? You know, would people getting ready to gather for Jesus, like make that, make Omaha this bustling center of a lighthouse for Jesus? And man, that's our prayers that God would do big things in big places here because he is big and he does big things in big places. But there's an and to that. And, which I didn't live out this and, I in some ways didn't believe it and I fully believe it now, is God does big things in big places, and God does big things in small places. He, he, he is not limited in resources. He's not like, well, I can only go A or B, so I guess I got to pick. He's like A and B, like all in. Uh, he is not limited in that. He does big things in small places. In the heart of Sacred Mission Church, we name the church Sacred Mission Church, not because of any like sacred mission that we like got in a side room and developed and we're like, yeah, let's do that. But if you talk to, I got really into reading like the history of our area recently and kind of reread stuff. And there was a time that Collins and Ames were both like real, like bustling centers of activity in Story County, the county that we live in. And, and man, like when you read about the things that were happening in Collins and all of the business that was happening and all that the train brought in, it was like, man, Collins was such an amazing epicenter of activity in 1898. Like, I mean, really, like, amazing things were happening where you're like, really? Like, I haven't read, like, one day the, the train brought in a thousand goats. Just, it's like, wow, that's, that's bustling activity there, you know? And then, so in 18, so, but a lot of life has happened since 1898, and a lot of people could look at a community like Collins or many of the communities in rural Nebraska, rural Iowa, and say, man, those communities were at their top of their game in the 1950s. And ever since then, there's been like a steady decline and all this stuff. And our heart and belief is that if Jesus is alive and well, which thankfully he is, that if Jesus is alive and well, then he is still on a sacred mission for the people of rural Iowa and the people of Omaha. And all that we are doing is joining him as he is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So we're believing that what if the best days are in the future because Jesus is on the move? And so that's what we named the church Sacred Mission for such purposes. So you might not be aware of this, but Coram Deo has played a significant role in the planting of Sacred Mission. It was, it was I think, close to three years ago now that, uh, that Bob, your lead pastor, was like, hey, we hear that this is happening. Why don't you come to Omaha and we'll, we can all have dinner together and just see what the Lord does. And so Patty and I, and we came here, and man, just to have a group of elders meeting with us about a church plant in a town of 450 people, and then for them to be like, we want to get behind this. We want to help see this thing happen. I just want to say, like, thank you so much. Like, really grateful for how the Lord is using you. And just as an example, 
Every week, I spend a, a few hours writing out, like, hey, here's what's happening on the ground. Here's things that were going on last week. Here's what's happening this week. Here's how my family and I are doing personally. And I send that to four pastors, and Bob, your lead pastor, is one of them that, that gets that email, reads it every single week, and two weeks ago, hit reply and sent me some really crucial feedback that really helped us navigate through some situations. And so just really grateful to Coram Deo. I'm really grateful for the health of this church. Because what I realize is that the health of this church really influences the health of other churches and really influences the health of Sacred Mission Church. And your health spurs on our health. And so uh, I was looking at what I should preach on today and praying about that. And, and you'll see as we go down, like uh, the leaders of your church had no input. They weren't like, Bob was just like, hey, pray and see what you guys should preach on. So my wife actually was like, I think, we should, I think you should preach on 1 Thessalonians 5. And so, uh, so as we prayed through that, it was uh, so grateful for that. So before we step into 1 Thessalonians 5, can I pray for us and have the Lord empower his word? Lord, I thank you that you are on the move for our good. Lord, you want us to love life. Even in the midst of the hard times, you want us to be alive in you, to have a peace that's deeper than our circumstances, to have relationships that are as healthy as what you call us to. Lord, would our lives be even more centered on you who are making all things new? We give this time to you for your purposes, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So a bit of the background of, of 1 Thessalonians. So Paul was a part of the planting of the church. Uh, they planted in this uh, non-Bible Belt city, Thessalonica. And after they had planted the church, shortly thereafter, persecution broke out so severe that Paul had to flee the city for the sake of his life. And so as a church is planted, Paul and others are starting to look back at a chaotic season and to say, did this church survive? Was maybe, like, did Satan snuff this thing out before it could even get roots in the ground? And, and it, does it even exist anymore? And so Paul, even earlier in 1 Thessalonians, says, I can't even go on living until I find out, is the church okay? And he so badly wants to know if the church in Thessalonica is okay, and he hears that they are doing awesome. And he is just filled with joy that the church in Thessalonica has survived what would have killed many churches, is, is his thought. And he is so excited that the church is okay, and then he spends five chapters teaching them how to even continue growing even in their health. And so, so as I was prayed about Coram Deo and thought, and kind of a title for this message is a health plan for a healthy church. So this is taking a healthy church and saying, how can a healthy church be healthier? And this is the writing of First Thessalonians. And man, I just, I feel this passionately for sacred mission. I feel this for Coram Deo is a health plan for a healthy church is like, hey, go here. But if, if we go totally against that plan, we start being very unhealthy. So it's not like, well, this is all optional since we're healthy already. It's like, no, this is not optional because we're wanting to not stay here because if we try and just stay here, we'll actually go backwards. So, so how can we as a healthy church grow even healthier? 
man, that's my heart for here. That's my heart for Iowa. So let's jump in with uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We know from other letters that Paul wrote, uh, mainly 1st, 2nd Corinthians, that Paul had even had times where people purposely were trying to undermine his leadership. They were trying to go against the, the work that he was doing and, and dividing it, taking shots at the leadership. And here Paul is saying, no, we, we need to follow leadership. And man, let me just say this. I know that there are people who have been hurt, hurt by church leadership in the past, uh, maybe leaders who went in sinful directions. Um, we should not follow leaders down a path of sin. But so often what goes against following church leadership is, is more like preferences and more minor things. And, and here, the major point of health for each of us is to have a healthy relationship with church leadership. So if you hear of a church that's like, man, have you heard that they are just in a knockdown, drag out fight in that church over the color of the carpet? You're like, ooh, I want to check this church out. Hmm, sounds really like a pleasant place to go. Sure, it'll be really encouraging, right? No, you want to like, I'm not going to go anywhere near that church, right? But if you hear of a church that has been through a lot together and they love each other and they love the leaders of the church, you might be like, I got to go check this out. I, I got to see what's going on there. I mean, it's kind of like if you hear of people coming back from their honeymoon after just being married and it's like, hey, did you hear that they love each other? You're like, yeah, I mean, don't every, doesn't everybody? <laughs> like, it's, and what's, it's like usually love each other coming home from their honeymoon. But if you hear of somebody, it's like, hey, they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and they love each other truly. You're like, I got to go check this out. I got to see what's going on because they know each other well enough that they could really hurt each other. And instead, they seem to be really loving each other and serving each other. Like, how does that happen? I need to go figure this out. So, so here, we're having a healthy relationship with church leadership. If we look at verses 12 and following again, it starts by saying, as much as possible, would you respect those who have given their lives to labor among you. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Those who labor among you. This word labor carries a sense of that they are working for you. That's their labor. And the, the way that this is written seems to assume that it's talking about elders and deacons. The elders and the deacons of the church are laboring for you and are over you. This carries the idea that leaders are taking responsibility to guide you. They're taking responsibility to protect you, to protect the souls of the bodies of, of believers, and that they are standing in a place of extra accountability. Like they're believing that Jesus very likely could say, hey, let's talk about how you're leading this person in the church. And they are owning that, that weighty responsibility uh, they, as they are over you. And as it even says here, which I'm sure many of you would, of us, would, uh, me included, would like to cross out, but, and admonish you. Admonish you in the Lord. Like, how many times have you ever come home and been like, hey, how was your week? Oh, man, it was awesome. I was admonished today. 
<laughs> it's like, you're usually like, man, if someone wants to come and correct me, it's like, I'm going to go somewhere else. And here it's saying, actually respect those who labor over you and admonish you, assuming it's happening. That they're like, hey, you know, I'm seeing this in your life. Maybe I'm wrong, but is this a thing there? Is it the priorities of your life, the decisions that you're making here? Uh, man, I just want to, instead of, a, well, who do you think you are? It's like, well, I, I believe that God's called me to be a part of leading you and leading the body in the ways of Jesus' life. And part of my life is to admonish you in the Lord. And we're called here to actually respect those who are doing it. And not just respect them. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And what's so inefficient about our Lord is that he could easily say like, hey, I'm just going to raise up somebody that you all can just like watch through social media, and they're just going to teach everybody, and they're just going to kind of send, beam down the message. But instead, he has gifted and called people in every local church across planet Earth to do these things for our good and for his glory. Wildly inefficient and wildly loving. <laughs> that he actually wants us to be known by leaders in the church at such intimate levels. Esteem your leaders very highly in love because of their work. And man, let me tell you, like Quorum Deo Church will never have a perfect leader, ever, outside of Jesus, the perfect leader. Like all other leaders, that's why he's the only one worth worshiping in this church, right? All other leaders are imperfect people desperately in need of Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, we follow them. And that is for our good. And imagine what that does for our community. It doesn't just turn things upside down. It actually turns things right side up to actually see that we are designed to actually give respect and esteem and love to others as they are leading us, as they are following Jesus. And if you have had a negative experience in your past with church leadership, God's heart is this for your future. This is his heart for your future, is to have a healthy relationship with church leadership. Paul then transitions from the importance of having a healthy relationship with the leaders of the church. Now look at verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So God's design here is he wants everyone in this room. He wants everyone hearing these verses to actually be at peace with each other. To actually say, yeah, I'm at peace with the people in this room. And it doesn't mean to say like, yeah, we all view things the same way. We're all pretty much the same folk or something. Like, I mean, if you look at rural Iowa, you might be like, oh, those people are all probably exactly the same. It's like enough has happened in the last two years in all of our lives to recognize that like for any of us in the church to have any type of unity that really, I mean, after a while, even rural Iowa, it's like, man, I thought I liked you because of this. And now I don't like you because of that. I thought I liked you because of that. Well, that's kind of faded away. I see that we don't see things eye to eye there either. And on and on and on and on. And to really get to be like, I think there's only one reason that we're in this room together. Because Jesus is the one we're gathering around. 
<laughs> like, I think that's the only reason we are in this room together. And he is the one that calls himself the Prince of Peace, among many other things. So when the Prince of Peace is calling us together, we're not having peace because it's like, oh, we're all from Omaha. There we go. We all like each other. It's like, no, it's because we're gathering around the Prince of Peace that we can actually have peace in our relationships with each other. And then this is a, a second big point of having a healthy relationship with church leaders and then have a healthy relationship with each other. Have a healthy relationship with each other. And he drills down into what this looks like and first says, first, admonish the idol. What does it look like to live in peace with each other? The word admonish again. It's interesting. It comes up twice here. But admonish the idol. So we are not okay as people are pursuing Jesus. We're not okay with a person who's treading water and is just on the sidelines. As people are following Jesus, they're kind of over on the sidelines and don't seem to be pursuing Jesus. We actually desire and realize for all of us to flourish, all of us are pursuing Jesus, for all of us to have health as a body. And so all of us need to, to if we ever see people who it feels like, man, it just feels like you're fading a little bit. Like, let me admonish you to, to not. Let me admonish the idol. And then second, encourage the faint-hearted. Don't kick the faint-hearted when they're down. Don't shame the faint-hearted. People who, for, for a variety of reasons, are feeling down, for a variety of reasons, are, are, are faint-hearted. That, that when people are vulnerable, when people share where they're at, we encourage them. Encourage the faint-hearted. We come around them. And then third, help the weak. Help the weak. This can be spiritually weak. This can be people who are sick, that we would help the weak. And man, this takes a lifetime. This is us seeing each other safely home, helping the weak. We're taught to be patient with them all. Very patient as we as we have a healthy relationship with each other because of how much Jesus is patient with us, uh, because we're all a work in progress, we're patient with them all. I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was in school, uh, especially like in middle school, high school, when, whenever a teacher would say, hey, your next thing is a project, like a class project, like a community project, and like five of you are going to work together, I'd always be like, oh, no, like, I was just doing my own work, and now I have to work with other people? Like, come on, like, I can just, like, do it by myself on my own. You know, I got to talk to people and be like, okay, what are we going to do our project on, you know, and then hope that everybody carries their, their weight and all that stuff, you know. So that's the negative form of a community project. But one of the things I'm realizing is God's love for us is that our walk with Jesus is a community project. None of us are designed to walk with him solo. Our walk with Jesus is a community project that takes a lifetime. And that's true for every one of us. Your walk with Jesus is a community project of growing more like Jesus. We're quick to, good, to do good for each other, not to destroy each other, but to be for each other. I was talking with a guy in the hotel this morning uh, over coffee, and, and he was just going through all these things in his life where people stabbed him in the back and people, people were, were not for him. And I was like, gosh, I'm actually preaching on this today. Um, and I don't know if 
Philip is here. If you are, like, I'd love to interact with you. But he, as we talked, I was like, the crazy thing about Jesus's church is he actually designed it where all of us are for each other. And I was like, you might have never, some people have never experienced that in their life. You didn't experience that in your home that you were growing up in. You didn't experience that in school. You don't experience that at work. People are instead trying to use you to make themselves look good. And instead, we're for each other to grow in the likeness of Christ. And man, that takes power for that to happen. It takes the power of God to happen, but it's worth it. It's worth every ounce of it. And then he transitions to verse 16 from have a healthy relationship with each other to verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This third major point, and it's so great that the Lord invites us into this, is have a healthy relationship with God. Have a healthy relationship with church leadership. Have a healthy relationship with each other. Have a healthy relationship with God. Rejoice always is how it starts in verse 16. Not just when times are good. Even in the hardest of times, we can be aware of all the treasures that we have in Christ, and we can rejoice. And you're like, well, for Paul, that was probably easy because he was probably in some palace somewhere, or he's probably somewhere where life was easy for him. So when Paul wrote this, and especially when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, which the whole theme of the book of Philippians is joy, Paul is rotting inside a first century Roman jail cell unjustly. And so you're like, how can a guy rotting in a jail cell, unjustly there, by the way, be known for communicating joy. And it's not because his circumstances got better, but it's because God was big in his life. He had a big God. How wonderful for us, I think, for our families, for this community, for this church, if we are people who have a healthy relationship with God, where he is so big in our life that even when the craziest circumstances happen, those circumstances still happen. Paul is still in jail, and it is painful and he can say, there's a joy that I have that's deeper than this circumstance right now. Learning to rejoice in that. And he says one of the outworkings of this is praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances. And I think prayer is an interesting thing. And, and in one sense, I would say, like, I don't think any of us should just be like into prayer. I know that sounds weird, but like in one sense, like don't be just into prayer. Instead, we're into Jesus, so we talk. Like, you know, prayer is communication with him. And because we're connected to him, we talk, and that is prayer. And that, that can happen through, through speaking. It can happen through just meditation and, and thinking of him and giving thanks in all circumstances as we talk with him as we're growing in our relationship with him, and as that relationship is defining all of our other relationships. And that's what's actually allowing us to have peace with each other. That's what's allowing us to be healthy in our relationship with church leadership. And if our rejoicing, if our praying, if our giving thanks in every circumstance, if that is growing in each one of us, and you might be right now thinking like, 
man, I just, I think probably like God knows what I've done. He kind of knows my thoughts or whatever. Like this is probably stuff that he wants other people to do, but maybe not what he wants for my life. What I love here is here he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you for every single one of us. And one of the things I love in observing Jesus is that Jesus commands demons and says, get out. And they're like freaked out and they're like, I'm out of here, (laughs) right? He can command demons and they're out. He can go up to sick, people who are sick, people who are crippled, and he can say, be healed. He commands it and they're healed. Multiple examples of even entire weather systems, entire weather systems moving across the Mediterranean Sea, coming into Israel, just wreaking havoc on the Sea of Galilee and all that stuff. And Jesus can stand up and say, quiet, (laughs) be still. Like, I mean, I can't get my dog to respond instantly to like a command, right? Like there's a command and then there's like, Uh, There's a a time period before obedience seems to kick in, you know, but he commands the weather and the entire system stops immediately. It doesn't like start winding down, but it instantly stops. That's the level of his command. And I think one of the breathtaking things about Jesus, he commands demons, he commands um, illnesses, he commands the weather. He always asks people to follow him. He never commands people to follow him in the way that he commands other things. And, and it's, a, it's a weird example, but I think once in a while, of like if I tried to command Patty's love, and I'm like, okay, here's my command plan. Like, I'm going to just like lock all the doors, and you cannot leave the house. I'm going to cover the inside of all the windows with like portraits of myself. I'm going to take my phone, your phone away, and I'm going to ensure that like every thought you have is me. Like, I mean, I know it's like disturbing even to play along with that idea, right? But like, I would hopefully be thrown in prison or something like that, right? Because like a command of a love like that is not, like that's ridiculous. Like even when I, I asked my wife for her hand in marriage, right? Like I, our love for each other is free. It's, it's free love towards each other. And that is how God treats us. But no, he treats us that way, but also lets us know that his will, that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He wants this relationship with each one of us, each one of us here. And then verse 20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. These are times when the Lord does speak into community where he could speak directly to us, but he speaks to another person to encourage that person and to encourage us. We test that with scripture. We test that with prayer. It will never contradict scripture. And at times we can say, I think God has spoken a prophetic word in this community. Then we abstain from every form of evil. Evil is an, is an action that moves us away from God. So some people have said, man, if we could just like corner evil in a room and just destroy it, like evil would have been banished long ago from planet Earth. But as guys like G.K. Chesterton say, is if you were going to rid the world of evil, you would have to get rid of me. Someone who does things away from God. Like the, you know, the, the, the thread of evil runs through each of us because each of us are free to follow Jesus and then free to also walk away. 
and he loves us to those points. And so when, when he says abstain from every form of evil, he is saying live in a way instead of living away from me, which, which leads to evil actions, actually resist that. And that is healthy growth as we have a healthy relationship with God is intentionally uh, walking away from evil and walking towards him. These three, intentional about having a healthy relationship with church leadership, intentional about having a healthy relationship with each other, intentional about having a healthy relationship with God. My question for us is just, one is like of those three, which do you feel are, is healthiest in your life? Of those three where you're like, man, by God's grace, I feel like this is like I'm pretty healthy in this area as it relates to a health plan for a healthy church. Uh, then of these three, where am I least healthy? Where, where do I have the most growth in that area? And without a doubt, our relationship with God, if that is not in a healthy spot, the other two will move towards unhealth. Like that, that needs to be healthy for the others to be healthy. And if, if you are in here and you say right now, Jesus is not your savior, I'd say that is the first step, massive step towards having a healthy relationship with God. Did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. There is a prayer that God has shared with us that anyone who prays this prayer, it will be, it will be instantly answered yes every time. And that is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who says, Jesus, I am aware of my sin. I, I am aware that you didn't, didn't come to condemn it, but to, to save me. You are alive and well. You died on the cross for me. Your blood washes me white as snow. You are alive and well. You are calling me to yourself. I come home running. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. You have to believe. Believe in Jesus as your Savior, and you will have eternal life. If you walked in and Jesus is your Savior today, trust him. Continue to trust him. Come to him. Allow him to form you. Allow him to disciple you for our good, for the good of our community, and for his glory. Can I pray? Can I pray that that, that would be done? Lord, I thank you for bringing us here together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that this is uh, the great God that you are, the great Savior that you are. Lord, would you, would you form us, those who are in, this, in here who walked in without Jesus having you as their personal Savior, I pray that they would come home running. And even if they start putting up defenses or, or yeah, but what about this, Lord, would you just meet with them right now. Let them know that you are, that them being in this room is not an accident. That's because you are drawing them to yourself. And this is a perfect day to be saved, to have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you move all of us towards being healthier in you? Because that means we are more alive and more according to how you've designed for us to flourish. Would that be for your glory? We pray these things. Amen.